Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. I'm super excited for today's episode because we have none other than Jen Kem on the show. Jen is a San Francisco Bay-based brand building and leadership expert who gets entrepreneurs seen, heard, and paid for being themselves. But more importantly, why this show means so much to me is Jen is one of the two people, two entrepreneurs that I would consider a mentor to me. I hope to have the second person on sometime in the future real soon. But today we've got Jen and she has such an incredible story of survival. Um, Some of the things I love most about Jen is she's extremely values driven. And she also has and honors really um, great respect for her lineage and her Filipino descent, her culture. She has very close ties to her family. And legacy is something that is extremely important to her. She's also the mother of three children. She's happily married. And she is the successful owner of several multi-million dollar businesses. Jen has really built a life that she loves. I would say she is someone who has the ability to Um, have great vision and also manifest that vision. And her businesses are not just about making money, though they do extremely well, but she starts businesses that really speak to her and her interests and also, again, pay great homage to her legacy and what she wants to leave behind. So she's very intentional and thoughtful. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Business of You as you hear Jen Kemp's story and also learn how she worked with several celebrity brands, but also personal brands to really help put them on the map. I'll now let you listen to today's episode of The Business of You with Jen Kemp. Enjoy. Jen, it's amazing to have you on the show today. I was really looking forward to this. So welcome. Rachel, I'm so excited to be here. I love I love talking to fellow brand geniuses, and uh, I'm so excited to be here. Got a lot to dive into, as we had to remember to hit record on our pre-talk here. So, <laughs> right, right. So we'd love to start by hearing your origin story. I, I have heard it, and I know you've had a lot of ups and downs in life. But for those that haven't heard it, if you can share your story, um, I know your Filipino culture is very important to you. So please share about that. Um, And also some of the bumps in in the road you've had to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, you probably have heard me say, I am not a spring chicken. I'm a seasoned chicken. So I've been (laughs) on this earth (laughs) and earth a little, a a while to, to gather a lot of wisdom through 
the ups and definitely through the downs. And so it's a long winding yarn, but I like to start with, I grew up in a tiny little town uh, on the North shore of Oahu in Hawaii and did not understand why I was like why God and the aliens had dropped me down in that place. Cause I felt like such a fish out of water, not because I didn't feel like I was steeped in my Filipino culture. My grandparents were immigrants. Uh, and you know, that was awesome about it. But I also had this huge curiosity about the world and I felt like the people around me and nothing against them, but I didn't have somebody to help stoke that curiosity. And I felt very lost. And so where I felt most at home was in the library, in our tiny little town's library. Uh, we didn't have any books, but uh, in like two months, I had gotten through the entire children's section. And by the time I had gotten to Judy Bloom and Beverly Cleary, I was like, what do I do next? So then I read the whole adult section. And the bottom line is what I think that speaks about me is that I am incessantly obsessed with learning and reading is my favorite thing to do. and growing up, I thought that because of that, I used to read the business, uh, the business section of the newspaper because my grandmother who only had a, you know, seventh grade education every morning, she would have Lipton hot tea and peanut butter toast. And I would sit on her shaggy seventies, uh, sofa with her. And she would give me the business section of the paper and she would say, I don't really understand this. Anak, Anak means child in Filipino, but maybe you will. And so I started in early age just reading about business and kind of got, I don't know, I started to understand that this is what kind of made the world move, which was kind of weird. Uh, and then in second grade, I went to this tiny little school called St. Michael's. There was only 17 of us in our class. And you know, in second grade, what do they ask you? They ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And so all the little boys in our class said they want to be, you know, they want to be firefighters and policemen and doctors. And all the girls were saying that they wanted to be teachers and nurses and moms. And I got up and said that I wanted to be the general counsel of Coca-Cola International. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and Sister Fatima was not amused. She thought I was like trying to act up and be extra, I guess. Um, and honestly, I wasn't being, uh, I wasn't making a fuss. I actually, in my mind thought, okay, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Boston university. I'm going to go to Harvard law. Like as a young age, I really knew what I wanted. And I think that's rare. And I also think that when you're like that, your parents don't know what to do with you. And so it can cause additional trauma because they're like, you don't know what you're talking about, not in a negative way, but more like, you know what you're talking about. There's still some things. So anyway, um, I followed that pursuit. I didn't end up becoming a lawyer for another, like a podcast that will take us in another hour to tell you why that didn't happen. But what I did is fall into Silicon Valley, um, during what I call the first boom of Silicon Valley, you know, when back in the days when Netscape was the number one browser and um, eBay was the number one in retail and, and they had innovated how people could like reuse and upcycle things. And I worked in the startup world. In fact, I was um, on the team that brought Webvan to market. And I don't know if you recognize that brand, um, Rachel, but Webvan is the predecessor to DoorDash and Uber Eats. And this was in... Yeah. And this was in 2000 
oh no, this was in 1990. See how old I am? This was in the late nineties and it totally flopped. And why I mentioned this about my origin story is that we all thought as futurists and visionaries that this was like the smartest thing ever. Like, why wouldn't you want your food delivered to your house and collapse time? And why wouldn't you want to then network with restaurants and bring, make it easier for us to feed our families? Because I was a young mom at the time, you know, married, young, uh, upwardly mobile in terms of my career. And anyway, it was a big flop. And the point is that I'm trying to make is that early on with disappointments in brand ideas going to market that I learned that as a visionary, and I like to call us visionizers because I think that we are people in action, is that we do see the future. And sometimes the ideas aren't ready. The market's not ready for the idea, but the idea is still good. And that's why you have to stay in it. Like, so I like to say repetition is the mother of mastery. So even in sharing my origin story, yes, a lot of people have heard it. They've heard my origin story. And I've actually told you a little bit more with this one. Um, but it's important to keep telling it because new people are finding you every day. And the market is getting educated by other people's shares. And so, sure, WebBand was a total flop. But wow, you know, 25 years later, it's like our way of life, right? And so that founder who I got to work with back then, they went on to do huge things in Silicon Valley. And I learned early on the power of marketing and building brands. And that, and so I think what you can also attune to my story if you're listening is I, uh, I was in the corporate world. I had no idea I was going to be an entrepreneur. And so, uh, you know, I spent over a decade in the corporate world, my last job was um, uh, executive VP of marketing for business to business at Verizon. And I brought another innovation to market years ago called streaming. Back then it was called internet protocol TV, IPTV. But today's Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, they were originally called IPTV. And it was my last job is bringing that innovation to market. Um, in the early 2000s. And, you know, I I left because, well, let's put it this way. I had no intention of leaving. I thought I was going to be CEO of Google one day. Like I thought, okay, I'm going to move on to bringing like really cool innovations to the world. And um, what happened was I got passed up for a promotion that I was promised after I brought streaming to market. And it was it was given to my white male counterpart, who, by the way, I just want to say this, he is still my friend. He's awesome. I love men and I have nothing against white people. Cause I like to say it out loud because when I say that, it sounds like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm radicalizing that relationship. No, it just was unfair. It was unfair. And the system wasn't set up to support people like me, specifically women of color, women, women of color, and frankly, people who put out a lot of effort, you know, the system rewarded people who played golf with our boss, you know, and I was like, oh, it doesn't matter if you're the smartest. It matters more about who you're aligning with and why you're doing it. And so with that, I made a really scary decision to leave my corporate job. 
I don't have this sexy romantic story about just jumping off and being pissed off. I actually took nine months to create an exit plan. And I had to because I had two young kids and I had to still feed them. And so I spent those nine months putting away half of my paycheck and I had no reason to leave Rachel. I was making $400,000 a year. I had uh, a corner office with a disco ball in it. I had a parking spot with my name on it. So I had all the trophies and the triumphs, but I knew that the impact I wanted to make would never truly happen unless I tried on my own to create my own future and my own autonomy. Cause I could see the future. It was one of the gifts that I was given. And um, I was like, no, I want to work with other people who are futurists. And those are entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are the reason that we solve problems in the world. You know, we're problem solvers. And I realized like in the corporate world, I was a master problem solver and I wanted to help others like me get rich, respected, and recognized for the fact that they could see the future and then help them build the teams that I was known for building inside of the corporate world. That's why I was so successful fast is because I realized just because you're the leader doesn't mean it's going to get done. You have to enroll people into that vision and I was, that's one of my other gifts that I discovered working in the corporate world. And I realized I could adapt that to the entrepreneurial world. And so I left and started Master Brand Institute. And here I am 15 years later. So I know that was a long story, but no, that's actually so the fascinating. those are the cliff, those are the cliff notes actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. you had a boutique, right? Uh, an in-person mm-hmm. or a, a shop, right? Before you had Master Brand Institute. It's so funny because um, I, I didn't even think to, uh, start a services or a consulting company. I was like, what's the thing I can build that I know will make money and people want it. And it ended up being underwear. So yes, I actually left the corporate world, making all that, having all those trophies and triumphs. And I started a retail store and that was in 2006. And it was, it did so well because I knew I lived in Hawaii and in Hawaii, there was no place to buy underwear for women except for Walmart. And if you're a strategist, what you're looking for is pocket opportunity, right? So I used to fly to Dallas every like three weeks to go to corporate. And, um, I would come back and we would land and I would notice that the women on the plane would have a similar hand carry, which was this pink bag, including me, which was a Victoria's Secret bag. And I realized, wait a minute, we are flying across the Pacific Ocean to get underwear. And it just kind of like, uh, and I didn't even think, Rachel, about, oh, um, all the overhead, you know, all of like the retail overhead, the real estate. So all I thought was like, oh, I'll just buy some real estate I'll redivert my funds because I understand money and I understand strategy. But what I didn't understand as well as I thought I did back then is operations. I'd always inside the corporate world had an incredible operations partner, if you will, inside of the company and to create the brand experience that we wanted. And I was focused on brand experience and they're focusing on the Tic Tacs. They're focusing on all the things that keep the lights on. And I was um, 
I was like, that's what was my downfall, basically. Because in 2008, when the Great Recession happened, I didn't have enough cash reserves, which was true of all, like, I don't know a small business that has a ton of cash reserves, right? Um, but that's how you stay afloat during hard times. And I didn't have that because I had now opened up a ton of stores. My business was doing over $10 million. I was mentioned in all kinds of media sources. They were calling me, they branded my personal brand as the understylist. I wasn't even trying to be like a personal brand in the fashion world in that way. But, um, you know, I was in the two most sensitive and vulnerable industries during the Great Recession, which was retail and real estate. And back then, they didn't have a bailout for your small business. They bailed out Wall Street. And that was another example of where I thought it was so unjust. Small business in America specifically powers this country. And it bothered me. It felt like another violation, like what had happened in the corporate world to me. Like, wait a minute. We're bailing out the people who actually turned us into this recession. And we're the ones suffering and having to go bankrupt because I lost everything. I lost my business, my house, my marriage. My grandmother died within three months. I had to, I was functionally homeless. I had to go move back to that little house that I mentioned growing up in. Um, and I, I became extremely depressed. I'd never, I didn't even know what depression was. I thought I did until that time in my life. And I literally, if you really knew me, you would know that I sat in the front of my grandmother's house on a rocking chair, watching the cars go by. I was like catatonic. And I was so stuck and paralyzed because of that failure. And I think that a lot of people get stuck and paralyzed when they don't succeed, even in the small things, they, 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 they stop. And for me, I, I know that feeling so deeply because I, my entire life stopped for six months. And it was my daughter who now is 26 years old. And at the time she was 10 and she just one day got sick of it. She just came outside. She put her hand on my shoulder and she said, mommy, you're Jen Kem. You know what to do. Wake up. And it was just like, Ooh, like I just woke up. Cause I saw somebody who I cared so, so deeply for reflect to me, like not tolerating my poop anymore. It was like, no girl, you need to wake up and this is not who you are and you need to figure out what's next. And so that's, you know, in 2008, what happened? And then I started Master Brand Institute. So thanks for asking. Cause there, I didn't like, I left out that part, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a time in my life where my entire confidence was shattered. And, um, I didn't, I did. I just didn't understand. Like, why? You know, like I thought that I had it all thought out. You know, right, but right. We can't well, control. What we can't control is the bottom. Exactly. Line. And what a great message to share now, right? A couple of years after a pandemic and so much that we couldn't control or ever had experienced before. Mm-hmm. And look where you are. I mean, it's just 15, 16 years later, and not only have you started Master Brand Institute, but you've also launched a a crystal slash mineral company, you have your vineyard and your brand there. I mean, 15 years, think about that, right? Like that's really not that much time to start three different businesses. So congratulations for pulling out of that and rebuilding and rebuilding three, at least three things, you know? Thank you. Thank you. And I think it's because first of all, that moment 
I'll never forget it. It's in my core, seared in my core memory with my daughter. And also, I think we forget there are those core moments that we don't notice, you know, about like somebody has said something or somebody or something has happened. And I think that for me, what I had to remember, the most important, my, my daughter used to say it like this, mommy, I'm losing my remembery. She used to call it instead of memory, remembery. And I think that what we need to remember is what we are gifted and good at. And that's what got me back was people go, oh, you have so much confidence. How did you do it? And I'm like, honestly, I just asked myself, what am I actually good at? Because if you focus on what you're really good at, it's natural for it to show off. And I think a lot of times we explore things and there's nothing wrong with exploring new ideas or wanting to start something new. I did it with the retail store. I had no background in retail, but what I did at the core of it is I knew how to launch a brand and that's why it was successful. So the retail part of it was the mechanism. It wasn't the business itself. And so I was like, wait, if I just took the same strengths that I have and did it in a lower risk type of business, which was consulting at first, because it was the easiest thing that I could do without having a lot of overhead, you know, and, and I had some network left, obviously from Verizon. And I think that's, we don't like a lot of times we're pivoting or we're looking for something like, and we're trying to get our confidence back. We try to complicate it and think, oh, we got to be a brand new person. Instead, it's about like digging in and going, what am I actually really good at? Because whatever you're really good at, people want to pay for. And then get paid and then go explore the new thing. So that's why I was able to do the crystal company and buy the vineyard. And like, these were other things that I enjoyed, but I would have never done it 13 years ago because I needed to focus on what I could monetize and be of service to now. And that was you know, building brands, go to market, building teams. And there's a lot of companies that want to partner with you to do that kind of stuff. And so I was like, oh, I'm just overcomplicating things. Like I'm trying to like, oh, I failed at retail. So maybe I should just try another retail concept. And instead I asked the hard question of like, wait, did I really like retail? To be honest, I didn't. It's hard. Like you have to keep your, you have to keep your doors open. There's no autonomy because if you're in the mall, you have to stay open when you are, you have to deal with a lot of workers who God bless them, but they are not that interested in a career with you. You know what I mean? So they're there for their month They're you know, and so you're dealing with a lot of complication that you don't need. And you think it's easier to sell clothes. It's actually quite difficult. And so always like asking yourself, and that's what I've done over the last 15 years. And I think that's why it's happened so fast is asking myself, is this in alignment with my values? Ultimately, does this give me what makes my life feel like I'm living my purpose and I'm also good at it. So my confidence continues to rise instead of, and then I can get through things not working out more easily because of mm. that. So you yeah. have, um, well, a couple questions. You have really evolved master brand Institute too, since its inception. And I feel like you've experimented and then just kind of solidified the things that were really working. Mm -hmm. And you also have a really small but mighty team. 
So before we go into the values-driven part of the combo, which I, I want to take a deeper dive into, can you share a little bit about that? Like how you've, you, you know, you haven't taken a straight road to growth with Master and Master Brand, but a bit of a windy one. Yeah. And I think that that's the other lesson, hopefully, that people who are listening get is that you have to get, you have to get comfortable with failing fast. Okay. Cause failing slow sucks. And in order to fail fast, you have to experiment and look for the data, the information, and frankly, even your, your intuition, like, is this really working? So back to like the team, I actually have four companies. So I have Chemcom, Master Brand Institute, Mana, which is the minerals and crystals company, and then Generosa, or well, Francisco Farms, which is our vineyard. And um, Chemcom was my first company after the retail store, and it was my consulting company. And frankly, it's still there. It, and we specialize at Chemcom on business to business consulting. So I have a team over there that actually has 40 people run by um, an incredible CEO that's not Sarah, who I know we're going to talk about in a, in a moment. And that's working with Verizon and Microsoft and Oracle and like a lot of software companies to bring their strategic products to market. And so that was my first company and it's still there. And I don't talk about it a lot because it's not the sexy one that, you know, working with entrepreneurs, it's actually working the big companies. It's literally doing my old job, except I get paid a lot more for it. Right. And that's back to not complicating things. Right. Corporations, even if like right now at the time of this recording, there's a lot of media noise around layoffs and that's going to happen, by the way, it's always going to happen. But guess what? When they lay you off, they still have the job to do. They do it for their P&L purposes, guys. They don't do it just because they're cutting or they're shrinking their company. Google is not shrinking their company. Facebook is not shrinking their company. They need to get the benefit stuff off their books and they can write off their cash stuff to the government. This is why they do it. I think a lot of people don't understand why things happen in the world. And this is what makes me different as a mentor. I'm like, that's not really what's happening. Here's what's happening. And that's why I was able to get back on my feet after my daughter woke me up was I was like, oh, they're laying people off because of the great recession, but they're still hiring consultants to fill the roles because they don't have to pay the benefits, right? Because the benefits cost companies a ton. And then they get to write off all that stuff as bad debt. And that's the that's that's how capitalism works, whether we like it or not. And it's like, especially for women, I need us to understand this better. Because I'm always like, if you want to get rich, recognized, and respected, you need to make decisions like white men do. And then do better and change the system that way. Because first you have to know how the system works so that you can operate in it in a way that changes the game. And for me, that's how I changed the game is when I woke up, I got, by the way, I also got medical help. Like I had to get a psychiatrist. I was in deep depression. So I also want to take the stigma off of like therapy and getting support and help and medical attention too, because it's real, especially for women. We don't like to talk about it. I mean. I have children. I had postpartum depression. I didn't even know it. There's a lot that we're not talking about because I always say like, there's really no such thing as a business problem. There's only a personal problem that's not being dealt with. And all the business information in the world, there's somebody who can help you. 
there's, there's someone who can help you or there's information you can get, but dealing with yourself, that's, that's the, that's the issue. So anyway, back to my companies, Chemcom was the company I created to basically get my old job back without working for them because my highest value is autonomy. And I knew that if I could, and plus, I don't know, did you ever work in the corporate world? Um, Okay. So you, you know, right. And maybe people listening who are in the corporate world still, and they're looking to become entrepreneurs or whatever, who do they listen to and pay the most? They pay consultants more. And it's so frustrating when you're an employee, even if you're a leader, by the way, I was an executive and it still pissed me off that like, like they'd bring in some hotshot consultant and they'd be like, listen to him or listen to her. And I'm like, that was my idea already, you know? And so I figured, oh, I'll just become that consultant. And I get to change the game. So there's Chemcom. There's 40 people over there. And what we do is we employ, we train product managers, which in the corporate world are the number one hardest position to fill in a company. Okay. And frankly, in the entrepreneurial world, I call them strategizers in my model at Master Brand Institute. They're very difficult to hire. And so uh, we specialize in a niche that's specifically around that because I, I ran the product management groups at every company I worked for. So again, finding that, that fit and it still stokes my gifts, which is like, I can see products and how they affect people. And I don't know, it just, for me, it's actually fun. And I was like, oh, I could, I could change this game for myself, right? And I think we don't honor that we can change the game for ourselves. So there's Chemcom. Then Masterbrand Institute came out of that. And I had no desire to create Masterbrand Institute. I just want to say that again. So back to like everything I've created, it wasn't like I came from a place of, oh, I want to create that. It was for me learning and trusting, oh, this is something people want. So let me try it on. Every new business I create, I'm trying it on first, and I'm, but I'm trying it on with the attitude of being committed, not attached. That's a big difference. I'm committed, not attached. So every business I build is not my dream home. You know, like we get so attached to our dream home. Could we ever sell it? But a real estate investor never gets attached. So I look at my businesses as being a real estate investor. I'm like, I'm I'm going, okay, I'm going to definitely put all the elements inside of it to make it work. And if at some point it's not working and I've tried everything and, or I just know it's not for me anymore, I can elegantly shut it down without. And I, I feel like that's why so many people work with us because of the way I see things like people teach funnels and messaging. And I do those things too, but that's the smallest part of running a successful business and building a brand um, it, it's coming at a higher level and understanding like how the world works and how you fit in it. So Mastermind Institute actually started out more bigger, like meaning I imagined I would have like at least 40 employees or more. I had imagined that I was going to create this campus and curriculum for entrepreneurs to learn this way of thinking so that they could launch their brands, uh, successfully. And in the beginning I was top heavy and I realized, you know what? It's causing me to have to be in the business a lot because I was the main strategizer and therefore I had to launch a lot. And I was like, I don't want to launch every month. And, but I believe in launching in the corporate world. All people do is launch. That's what businesses do. They're in the business of launching. But as an entrepreneur, if you don't have the right team, it's exhausting. 
And if you have too much team, it's worse. So in 2020, during the pandemic, we made a big decision to ask ourselves, do we like this company anymore because of the level of launching? And we were already, you know, we were doing eight figures a year. So we were successful financially, but I felt like it was taking too much of my life. And so did Sarah, who is my, you know, who is my COO and our chief mobilizer, we like to call it. And um, so we made a decision. We're like, what if we cut the team by two thirds and do it in a way that's very elegant? You know, like we made sure everybody got jobs. And also like some of them are still working with us in a freelance capacity. Um, and we decided to kind of like focus on what we felt were the biggest problems on the internet streets. And to me, the biggest problem on the internet streets was like visionizers like me and like you, Rachel, and like people who are listening to this podcast right now, you have an idea, you want it to work, you want to build something around it. You don't have the, what I call the unicorn team behind you because big, the most iconic brands are built by a team, not by a person. And the people inside of your company, um, like for example, Steve Jobs, right? He's probably the easiest iconic personal brand, you know, to bring iconic products and company. So Apple, and then of course the iPhone and then Steve Jobs, right? Three different types of brands, right? Personal brand, company brand, product brand, or offer brand. And part of like what people realize is there is the visionizer is usually the person in the front that does, doesn't mind being seen, even if they're introverted, like me, I know probably if you're listening, people are like, you're not introverted. I'm totally introverted. Um, but I get lit up when I'm talking about stuff I care about. It's introversion is not shyness. Introversion is we don't get our energy from people. We get our energy from rest. And so, uh, you know, but when I'm talking about something I care about, like right now, us chatting about this is like gets me lit up. You know, I can talk all day about this stuff. And I think we have a lot of unnecessary conversations that like we shouldn't be doing. That's what gets us tired, just like launching gets us tired because we're complicating it. And so I decided to completely simplify our business because with simplification comes potency. And so we did that. We focused on two programs that helped visionizers like me build the team that actually can bring the ideas to life and then sustainably grow it instead of getting burnt out. And, uh, you know, we shut down three products that were making us over $5 million in order to do that. And I think that becoming an entrepreneur and growing businesses I assumed that when I was building them, I didn't want to, I didn't want to create a gilded cage for myself. Like I had in that corner office at Verizon, you know, if, if, and I realized like money's great. I love money. I love money. I love what money, but I was also like, what is this money for? I want the money to be able to leave a legacy for my children. I want to like be able to live the lifestyle I want. I want to employ people and create increase the economy through that. But I didn't want, I realized in 2020, which made us pause, like, oh, I want to build a business that feels good because I know how to do things now. Cause I've tested part of my language, a shit ton of things, you know? And I needed to like, I was like this season of my life, you know, at that point I was like in my late forties, I was like this season of my life, I want to 
really teach more people through books, through speaking, through um, licensing our intellectual property instead of me being the product. Um, and, you know, so we made, we took those big risks and people were like, you crazy, you shut down. Why didn't you just sell that part of the business or whatever? We could have, but I also was like, that feels like a lot of work. And now I, I trusted what I knew. And I think so many times we question what we know. And I think you have to, you have to trust what you know. So yeah, long so answer true. to your question. <laughs> so no, yeah. well, no, I'm so glad you shared even about Chemcom. I mean, what a brilliant move to create a company that was your, you know, to fill your, your old job. I love it. It's kind of like, um, an energetic, like F you to that, hey, to I'm that telling world you, I too, think, you know, <laughs> I sometimes think, I hope that this part of the story, if you're listening, you might go, wait a minute, I should do that first. <laughs> exactly. Cause when, if, if someone said, Hey, rewind Jen, what would you have done differently in uh, 2006 when I left my job? I would have first not started the retail business. I would have started Chemcom, but I didn't know better. I needed that massive wake up call and fail. And I had to do something big so that I could create that muscle of courage because courage is a muscle. It's not a, like a, it's something that you have to keep like training because it doesn't stop. I think we were talking in the pre-show, if you don't mind me saying, it's like, we're talking about like confidence and you know, do you, people ask me, do you lose? I'm like, for sure. I'm still scared to do things. I, I, you know, but I think that what I can trust again is what I know. And so I just go, fine, let's try it because I'd rather fail fast than fast than fail slow, you know? And I think, you know, it doesn't mean I'm not scared. I'm totally right. scared. <laughs> right, right, right. You know? Yeah. So, and yeah. you never want to wonder what if too, that's always something I totally. hold, you know, in my life is you never want to wonder what if you had done something or tried something different. Right. For sure. these, these last few years, you've really been talking so much about values driven, you know, your posts use the hashtag on social, you talk about it pretty much everywhere. So what does that really, I mean, I have a sense of what it means, but what does that really mean to you? And how does that, how has that helped you grow your business, but also grow your confidence? Yeah. Um, you know, values driven is a way of life for me. And I came upon it from a lot of different sources. Um, but what I realized is, is that we're all making decisions on our values, by the way, every single one of us. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do those values support what we really want? So values driven, first and foremost, I want to say is not about a political stance, for example, or like, you know, it's more about like, for example, number 45, president of the United States, he's very values driven. And that's why he's successful in his own way. Now, I don't agree with his views. I don't like him. I don't like, but can I say he's values driven? Absolutely. And it's why he's successful. And so, as I said, I realized that, you know, inside of the corporate world, my number one value at the time was ambition. And my number two value was family. And values are not what you wish for. They are who and how you're behaving. 
period now, like right now. So you can be like, when people tell me, oh, my values are abundance. And all I hear you talk about is scarcity in your own way. I'm like, actually, you don't value abundance because you're not living abundance. So values are a commitment. You know, they're a commitment. And so I knew I had to, I wanted to become an autonomous thinking person, not an ambitious person, because ambition can put you in a gilded cage, right? And, and autonomy, I wanted to be autonomous, but I wasn't yet. So I had to become that. I had to make that my value. And so I, an autonomy to me means not just freedom, but it means control over my future. And um, because I was out of control, no one, everybody else was controlling my future, not me. So anyway, my point is, is that when I started to really understand that values are who we are and what we, what we do, I started taking it very seriously. And it's a science, actually. The values of science. In fact, if you ever want to do research on values, a great source is Dr. John D. Martini. Um, he wrote a book called The Values Factor. And it's a good preface and prep on, you know, your values. And in fact, I think it's the best because I think also values, especially in the corporate world, they're just words. Like, you know, we'll see a company say, this is our values. And then like, it's just an exercise in using nice words. But values-driven really means it's about your life. And values-driven is my decision-making tool. So meaning, um, if it's not in alignment with my values, my values are my filter for yes or no decisions. And so my five top values are autonomy, justice, generosity, leadership, and legacy. And those aren't just words. Autonomy for means, you know, um, that I'm building things that give me freedom and give my clients freedom. Uh, number two, um, justice is about fairness and intersectionality. Generosity is about, I'm going to share no matter what, because you can't steal anything from me that I know already. Number, and that means abundance too, to me. It's like, I don't, I don't worry if I think you're going to steal from me, but trust it, if you do, and I can figure it out, you're going to get papers, but like, you know, cause you're running a business. And then leadership for me is actually more about leadership of self rather than even others, because I feel like back to there's only personal problems, not business problems. And when you are willing to lead yourself, keep your word to yourself, then you will keep your word to other people all the time. And then fifth is um, legacy. And I, I like to say that legacy is not about the future. Legacy is about what am I doing right now to make this a world I want to live in and that I want to leave behind. And so with those ideas, every decision I make, Rachel, every decision, business or personal runs through that filter. And I say like, maybe is the devil. I don't make maybe decisions. I make clean yes or clean no decisions. Maybe is a place that we use as an excuse that slows us down. And if you say a clean no, because it doesn't fit with your values, my, my posture is you've made the right decision. You, there's nothing to regret, right? Because you can keep going without regret. And so now, even in, if I get tempted, like, ah, oh, I have FOMO, I want to go to that thing, you know, um, but I know that it doesn't fit in with my values or, and values include like timing. Sometimes it's a timing thing. Um, and 
I've learned that the more I exercise filtering through my values, the more momentum I get, the more confidence I get, the less regret or wishing or wondering, you know, um, it, it starts to dissipate. And it's a fun experience if you take it as literally as I do. Um, but you start to feel like yourself. You're like, wow, like I live in a life that really feels right, you know? And so that's what I do. And I teach it and it's transformed a lot of the ways that people, you know, that in therapy, because also like, you know, having a therapist is part of my team. You know, when you talked about team, having a therapist on my team is a non-negotiable, even for my team. I've, my team has a team therapist because we have to clean out our crap because we all have crap and we all have trauma and we all have uh, beliefs and, and, and ideas that were installed in us. We have programs that are running us that we need to uninstall on a regular basis. So it's just like your iPhone needs to like have a software upgrade. And to me, that's what therapy does. It allows me to then not poop on my kids on my partner, I got to handle my own stuff, right? And each one of us on our team understands that. And that's why people, I think, who work with me as either on the team or as a client, we are a stand for our values because we're like, we want to have mutual respect and we want to have like, we want to model how juicy living this kind of life is because it is really juicy. You know, I don't want to have a hundred million dollar company anymore, but I help hundred million dollar companies. And I, and I, once I got clear on that, I wasn't chasing stuff I didn't need to chase, you know? And so, and as I said, Rachel, you and I are seasoned chickens. So, uh, you know, our time on this planet needs to be used. Well, I'm going to say something severe, but it's true. We're going to die. Like every single one of us listening right now, it's going to happen. So this physical meat sack that's holding our soul will expire. Okay. And I don't say that to be cruel or mean. It's just, if you understand that you will live more intentionally every single day and values help you live intentionally. That's why it's so important to me. And that's why I preach and teach about it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're your compass, right? Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I just want to, I'm curious about, you mentioned at the beginning of the values piece that abundance was a value, but you actually wanted autonomy. So you made autonomy your value. So these, these, what is it? Five values. Did you, when you established them, were they very much a part of you or were they the part of future gen? Yeah, that's a great question. Okay. So actually there's an exercise to find out what your, your true values are. And so values are comprised of your vision your voids and your violations. Okay. So your vision is your future self. How do you see like the world? How do you want the world to look like of you five years from now, 10 years from now? Okay. Voids are things that you perceive as missing in your life. And so typically that's a present, that's present you like you right now. And then violations are things that happened in the past. So they're your past self. And you do this exercise of asking, like, what is your future self, your past self, and your present self? What's, what's, what are those um, 
ingredients that are making you who you are right now. That's what then spits out what your your real values are and that you're just not, because your future self is pulling you forward. So when I thought ambition was my was my my value, it was, and I had to traverse over to autonomy after doing that exercise and going, okay, um, this is the real me because my future self wants autonomy, but my past self likes ambition. So there's a relationship between how you navigate that. And the navigation is this simple. You just start making your top values decisions, meaning I will make autonomous decisions instead of ambitious decisions. You see what I'm saying? It's that simple. It's not some type of like weird blueprint. It's just, it's that simple. Right. Right. I also wonder was if you dug deeper into ambition was autonomy there, right? It probably was. You were ambitious because you ultimately wanted autonomy. I think so. I think what I will say is like, it's why whenever in the corporate world, I used to get triggered by people like trying to like control my flow. I was like, I know what to do. Like, let me go. Like, don't try to get in my way. But there's in in, in any business, even a small business, there's politics, red tape, people's hangups and stuff. And I would get really triggered by stupid process. I'd be like, why is this? This process is stupid. Just because we've always done it this way shouldn't be what we should do. And I was always seeking, like, why do people want to work hard? Why do people want to, like, be here all night? I was always trying to find a way to compress the problem and fix it. And so I realized I actually was seeking autonomy. I was just naming it wrong, right? Like, that's that's the thing. And once that's why, and words matter. Language matters. Identity matters. And so how you name your values matters because, and that's why they're not just words. You need to describe every single one of them. So it's not like, okay, just autonomy. What is autonomy? What's the definition for you? So that you know what you're deciding. Right. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So currently you're working on a book, right? Yes, yes. I'm so excited about it. And you're working on a couple other things. So where do you see yourself continuing to, uh, to plant the Gen Chem flag? I'm now moving into the decade of the fifties and I am, as I mentioned earlier, I realize that now that I've gathered so much wisdom and still gathering wisdom, you know, I don't, I plan on learning until I I can't learn anymore. Um, and, but now I feel like now's the time for me now to get out of doing and more, more teaching in a more mainstream way. So my first book, my first mainstream book or traditionally published book is called Unicorn Team. And the running tagline, we'll see what it is, what it ends up being, but it's like, it, it's basically unleash untapped talent inside of your company so that you can build an iconic brand. And it's based on um, the fact that team is just as important as identity. And everybody wanted me, frankly, all the publishers wanted me to write a book on identity first, like brand identity, right? Like my master brand method is part is basically about identity. And I actually pushed back and I was like, I don't think that's the book people need. Uh, I think the book that people need is the truth, which is that nobody does it alone. And if you want to sustainably scale, you need the right help from mentors and team, period. It, it just, it's true. 
And so I fought for this book and I'm really excited about it. And then my second book will be about building a master brand and identity. But my first book, I think it's so important for us to have a textbook in a way of how to do this, how to do, because when people ask me how I do it, I'm like, I just gonna write the book on it, you know, because I talk about it everywhere, but I want to actually write a book on it. So I'm writing that right now. And I see myself like really speaking and teaching and helping people develop their teams and certifying their team, their mobilizers, their strategizers, and having visionizers like us work on the inside part of us that needs that leader inside to be able to hold the space for our big ideas. So um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. That's amazing. When you say certifying their team, are you actually going to create a certification program for some of this? Oh, nice. We're going to certify unicorn teams. Yes. We're going to like, and oh, so people can that. say, yeah. Yeah. So, cause I really think also you'll have more, we spend a lot of money on resources, right? And we need to know that our resources are trained uh, to be able to support us. And so we are now going to certify like mobilizers and strategizers specifically so that we can hire the right people. So I'm excited about that. So as we come to a close here, Jen, thanks so much for being on. Where's the best place for people to learn about you? And also, uh, you know, feel free to mention the brand archetype quiz too. Yeah, I think the best way to find and hang out with me is on LinkedIn. You can just search for Jennifer Kim or Instagram, which I love to DM with people. So if you have any questions after this show, feel free to DM me. Uh, And then I want to give your listeners a gift. It's called the Brand Archetype Quiz. And it helps you find out what your dominant identity is using our brand archetype system. So just go to brandarchetypequiz.com and, uh, you know, get it. It's a free report. It's really fun and it's really in-depth too. Awesome. We'll check it out. Thanks so much, Jen. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Rachel. It was so fun to be here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.